When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, Rebecca Larson. Hello, and welcome to this special edition of the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Larson, and today I'm joined by Sari Graham. You might recognize Sari's name from my website, tutorsdynasty.com, as Sari is becoming a regular quiz contributor to the site. You might also recognize her from a previous podcast about the Wars of the Roses. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for, for having me back. Sari, it was your idea to watch old Tudor-themed movies and then review them, and I have to say that the best part of this whole thing was last night when you were messaging me your reactions to the movie as we watched it. It was a lot of fun. I hope you had fun chatting, too. Yeah, we did. It was funny. <laughs> so we decided on Young Bess, right, as our first movie. Yes, it's always fun to watch it with somebody else who's interested in in that time period. My husband would never watch it with me. Oh, no, mine would never either. He'd be like, see you later. Young Bess um, came out in 1953. It was starring Gene Simmons as Elizabeth, Stuart Granger as Thomas Seymour, Charles Lawton as Henry VIII, and Deborah Kerr as Catherine Parr. Those are some pretty big names if you're thinking about old movies, right? Yeah, for the t- time, those were those were you could call that like an all-star cast and Deborah Kerr. That's a name that really jumps out to me just because um, my grandmother has a real appreciation for the movies from her time. And so I've seen a lot more older films than I think most people my age have. So Deborah Kerr and Charles Lawton, like I know those names. I know, I know Gene Simmons name, but other than young Bess, I don't think I could recognize her in something else, but I, I definitely know the name. Yeah, I was looking through some of their IMDb stuff um, last night. A lot of them had very successful careers. Stuart Granger, honestly, I had never seen anything that he was in prior to seeing him as Thomas Seymour. Of course, now I want to know everything that he's in because he played Thomas Seymour. But anyway, that's beside the point. So Young Bess, okay, it is a romantic look at the life of Princess Elizabeth. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. It's definitely, it's a, a very romantic look at the life of right. Elizabeth. <laughs> and I think the joke that I made to you last night was, for me, like watching Young Bess is like watching a soap opera, you know, like. Yeah, for sure. It's all about drama and love and fighting. Yep. It's like the, the being torn between two things kind of thing. Like, I love him, but it's wrong. Right. (laughs) Yes, forbidden love. Yes. (laughs) So I was surprised to find out that this movie was actually nominated for two Academy Awards in 1954. Oh, yeah? One was for Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, and the other one was for Best Costume Design. Did it win for 
either? <laughs> no, it was nominated. <laughs> but it, like, I didn't look up who won that year, so I'd be interested to see who beat them out in those two categories. Because I really thought, when you look at it, especially after knowing that they were nominated, you take a look at that set design, and it was very realistic, in, in my view, anyway. Yeah, I thought so, too. And I liked how... Um for some of the different locations like Hatfield and the Tower of London, like there was actually imagery of the actual buildings and, yeah. and the places like it, you know, they might not have actually been there for the scene, but they used real imagery for that. And I appreciate that in historical um, film or TV when, when there is a realness to the location, whether or not they're there, but as long as they can make it look like they are, I, I noticed that. And I like that. I like that as well. The, the one thing that's not necessarily set de- decoration, but I got such a kick out of every time Elizabeth had to leave and go back to Hatfield, how they replayed the same scene yeah. of the wagon and the horses going down a hill. <laughs> so you know how last night when I, I had asked you if you had seen the World War II film, The Great Escape? Right. What I was asking was because every time she had to go back to Hatfield, it made me think from that film one of the um, the prisoners, I forget his name. It's Alexander McQueen, but I forget the character's name off the top of my head. He gets he keeps getting put into solitary, and so he sits on the floor and he bounces a baseball up against the wall and he catches it. And it just made me think of that because every time he got into trouble, he was put <laughs> back into solitary, and every time Elizabeth was out of favor, back to Hatfield you go. And that's what made me think of that. That's funny. Now now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought, um, you know, when I was watching this again, I started it, I think it was last week and I started watching it again. I only got about halfway through and then finished last night, but I'm always, um, interested in where they decided to take the story, where they started the story. And so it, you know, the opening sequence, their words pop up on the screen and it's like, you know, born at a time when heads were falling around her like cabbage stalks to grow up at all was an achievement to grow up to greatness was a miracle. Yeah. Huh. I thought that was a really powerful, like opening statement. Like, um, like, you know, those bedtime stories that kids are told and it's like once upon a time in a land far, far away, there lived a princess dot, dot, dot. That, yes. that, that was the kind of opening for the story of about the life of Elizabeth Tudor because it actually happened. And the fact that it was real and that it was achieved by a woman, like that's just badass to me. Right. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. And so then of course the opening scene um, is from the 16th of November, 1558 at Hatville house the day before Queen Mary, the first dies. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny that um, Kat Ashley the, the way that I guess she was portrayed, she was kind of like gloating a little bit there. Yeah, she was, wasn't she? That's where she is because of me. Well, yeah, I guess maybe in a way, but it wasn't all you. Like it was the culmination of a lot of different things there. And <laughs> that's just not how I read Kat Ashley. Like I felt like she wouldn't have actually, she, well, she would have been proud. I feel like she wouldn't have wanted to take that credit. Or at least not all of it. Interesting. See, now my my take on Cat Ashley has always been negative, just because of you know the things that she said about Thomas Seymour. Yes. So when I saw her um, in that form in this movie, I was like, "Yep, yeah, that's her." <laughs> <laughs> 
that is exactly who I thought she was all along. <laughs> and then she, they start singing. Like, that was weird to me when they start singing. Yeah, I don't know if, like, I'm sure children in that time had their own little sing songs for play, but that was kind of out of place, I felt. Yeah, I really had a moment where I was like, oh my God, is this a musical? Because I am not into musicals at all. And then it stopped, of course, eventually, <laughs> as the but time progresses. Like that song came up a couple times during the course of the film. So it had its relevance, I guess. And while it was a child's play song when they were playing, what did they say, like on a seesaw or something? Like it's yeah. very much. Elizabeth's life was she she lived on a seesaw up and down up and down so there was a I guess putting it into the script there was a relevancy there yeah that's a good point I didn't think of it that way thank you for bringing that up you're welcome okay so in this movie King Henry VIII is played by Charles Lawton now he is not one of my favorite actors to play Henry VIII I just I'm not a fan of him, and I'm especially not a fan of how he played Henry VIII in this. Now, maybe it's closer to what the real guy was like, but to me, it's such a disgusting look at him, which, of course, I'm sure is what they were trying to get across. Yeah, probably. I think that stereotype of Henry VIII being, like, you know, the size of a truck and just not giving a care about what anybody thinks, and I do what I want, and I'm the king, rah, rah. I think that's really how he's portrayed a lot. Yeah, it, I, you know, I wish we could go back in time sometimes and just really get a feel for who these people really were, because all we have are generally words from other people to tell us who they were. Yes. Anyway, so Charles Lawton, I thought was creepy in the, as the character um, of Henry VIII, especially in that opening scene when, you know, he's parading a, around little baby Elizabeth and he walks over to Anne and he's like, weirdly pawing at her neck okay right like that was gross <laughs> it was awkward like, I, get they're alluding, I, I understand what they're alluding to with that but like ew it was just an awkward and like that was the worst depiction of Anne Boleyn that I have ever seen in my life the way that she was laughing I was just like just cut off her head please that's horrible <laughs> just end it now I can't just, take yeah. it <laughs> Okay, so with that in mind, now, um, I don't know, like, how many movies you've seen with Henry VIII being portrayed, but I'm going to ask you, who is your favorite actor to play Henry VIII? And I'm going to give you some options, okay? Okay. Charles Lawton, Damian Lewis, Jonathan Reese Myers, Richard Burton, or some other weird one? Okay, so I've admittedly not seen a lot of Tudors-related films. Like, I've seen the TV show The Tudors, I've seen Elizabeth and the Golden Age and that. But, you know, I'm really fussy with historical details, and so I prefer to read versus watch. But I have seen Charles Lawton, and I have seen Jonathan Rhys Myers. And I like them both for different reasons. I think... I think Jonathan Rhys Myers will take the overall win for this because he just absolutely nails the personality and the the I can't even say the word the mercurialness that Henry VIII was like he can be laughing and having a great time but then in a blink of an eye he's pummeling somebody on the other side of the room like that was an excellent delivery by Jonathan Rhys Myers and Charles Lawton he's good for the role of the obese king who just doesn't care what anybody thinks and so they both have their relevance in in my opinion but I think at the end of the day I would prefer Jonathan Rhys Myers 
because he nailed, you know, the attitude and the personality and, and, and the mannerisms and how he talked to people and how he arrived at decisions. I definitely have to agree with you. <laughs> Jonathan Reese Myers all the way. He was perfect. He was definitely like, so I know he refused to like, he didn't want to wear a fat suit and he didn't want to gain the weight mm-hmm. himself, but like, okay, we can just bulk you up with bigger costumes and make you look bigger. But I think maybe if anything, like change your hair color, man. <laughs> to, to me, it was like, I, I feel like he did such a great job playing the character that I was able to see past all of that. I was able just to, to, you know, just look at the personality and go, oh my God, he just embodies that, that horrible temper and personality of Henry VIII. Yeah, that I, I have the same opinion uh, of Natalie Dormer playing Anne Boleyn like she's absolutely beautiful and I think by traditional standards Anne Boleyn was not a lot to look at but mm-hmm. because Natalie Dormer nailed the the personality and the characteristics and sort of how she was as a person I can look past the fact that she had pale beautiful porcelain skin and blue eyes <laughs> right yes exactly now speaking of other people um other than Henry VIII, did you prefer James Frayne as Cromwell and the Tudors, or did you prefer Mark Rylance as Cromwell and Wolf Hall? Okay, so I haven't seen Wolf Hall. It's on my list. Um, so, I mean, I can only really, again, like, I don't watch a lot. I prefer to read, <laughs> but it is on my list to watch. Um, but I think James Frayne... I think he was a fantastic Cromwell. And every time that I see James Frayne in anything else, I'm just like, hey, it's Cromwell. Like, that's how I know him. Mm-hmm. And aside from him being, I think, maybe taller and a little trimmer than the real Cromwell, again, like he, in my opinion, had the personality to be able to bring that character to life where, it, okay, it doesn't really matter what he looks like so much, but he is Cromwell to me. I, I Wolf Hall, to, to me, me, was just, just it, it was groundbreaking. groundbreaking. Um, cinematography the, the, seri- the, the series was, was i've never, never read, read the book by hillary mantle i've never honestly read anything by her but when the series came out i was really excited i honestly didn't even know who mark rylance was at this point because i'm slow when it comes to english actors obviously um so once i saw him play this character oh my god it was amazing like i instantly fell in love with his acting but wolf hall to me the best part was that it was filmed in natural lighting so it was all filmed by candlelight excuse me so it was all filmed by candlelight and it just gives you it just gives you like this such an authentic view of history you feel like when you see these scenes where he's sitting by the fireplace and it, he just has the light on his face from the fire, and that's it. There's no candles around. That's what it would have been like when you walked into a room. You know, it wouldn't have been brilliantly lit like it is today, and I loved that about it. All right. Well, I'm definitely going to have to watch that one next then. Definitely. I And then and then we'll have to talk about that one, because I'm sure you'll have lots of opinions about that one as well. Oh, I'm sure I will. <laughs> <laughs> I liked, you know what, I don't want to get too far off track, but I really enjoyed the fact that they gave Anne Boleyn a bit of a French accent in it, because to it seemed to me like that seemed authentic to her. Like, she would have probably had an accent, no? Yeah, I, I think I've read that she like not like a full French accent, but that she did have a slightly different dialect in how she would pronounce words and say things. 
because, um, you know, she was in France at a younger age. And so she was there for a large chunk of, I guess, her teenage years. So, like, why not? That's like, it's the, the same can be said for Mary, Queen of Scots. She didn't have a Scottish accent. She had a French accent. Right. Exactly. And that's what drove me crazy about that trailer. So I guess I, if I can do it in one, I can do it in another. <laughs> <laughs> So we're talking about Anne Boleyn. Now, the execution scene, I'm interested to to kind of get your take on how you felt about the entire thing. You mean how wrong it was? Yeah, all like everything that was wrong down to how old Elizabeth was shown as on the day of her mother's execution. Yeah, like they're standing at the window watching kind of thing. Like, come on. Right, she but she's old when it happened. Was she and not? She was like a baby too. Like they yeah, showed her like as an that's... infant. Yeah, that's what I said, too. Like, she was a babe in arms when really she was a toddler when this happened. Like, what the heck? And the fact that they had Anne Boleyn put her head down on a block. Like, are you are you kidding? But, right. Is, did you put any research into this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, why, why, why would you feel the need to have to create an extra prop for a scene, the block, when you right. didn't need it to begin with? <laughs> Well, it was 1953. We'll just say, let's use that as the excuse. You kind of have to take into account the times when the movie was made and you can't go into it with a 2018 kind of, I guess. But that's same as history, isn't that what we always say? You can't, you know, look at it with modern eyes. You have to try and imagine what their lives were like back then. So it's not like today. Yeah. Well, they kind of fast forward through um, from that part. They kind of go through um, the subsequent wives, right? So we get a we get a quick glimpse at. Um, do we even get a look at Jane Seymour? Did they even show her? No, she's not in it at all. So she just bring all of a sudden. There's a baby. Yep, there's a baby Prince Edward. We don't get to see her, but then we get. Oh, I guess we don't get to see it. They use kind of the theater of the mind when Elizabeth gets to meet Anne of Cleves. Oh my God, that scene killed me, okay? Like, so she's walking down the hall with Kat Ashley and then Kat turns to her and says, this one is German. Like, like she's a piece of furniture or something. And then you hear this this heavy German accent just like going nuts over Elizabeth. Yeah, she's, she's like, oh, das Kind. Yeah, it's, it's not her fault that she's German. Like, like what? Who wrote this? Like, that's... Oh my gosh, but it's so funny. That's the one thing I loved about this movie, that there were scenes like that that I don't think were meant to be funny, but because it's 2018, it's hilarious to us to watch it. And I think, too, when you think about the fact that this film was in 1953, so we're just after World War II, and I think, you know, German sentiments, there was still a negative connotation with Germans. And so oh, it's sure. like, this one, she's German. Like... <laughs> just letting you know that it doesn't mean anything i'm just letting you know she's german (laughs) that is a good point see now you were thinking of things i wasn't so that's a that's very good insight so of course okay so obviously that marriage didn't last very long they were married for what six months after that then there was the marriage to cat howard and of course you know what is cash cat ashley's you know says to elizabeth another one like she's young and beautiful or something to that effect yep um, and Elizabeth shows up to be introduced to Catherine Howard and she walks into the room with her father, who of course is this loud, boisterous man eating at the table with his hands. 
Um, and he made some comment about to her about last night I made you legitimate again. Yeah, and when I, did that happen? I and I kind of laughed. I was like, so he married Kat Howard and then he made her legitimate? Like, hmm. I just kind of threw that in there. Yeah, and like when she was entering the room to, I guess, be introduced to Catherine Howard and everything, and Henry says to her, come in, child, I won't eat you. <laughs> like, okay, that's not creepy at all. <laughs> right, right, and then he did the creeping pawing thing on Catherine Howard's neck, too. Yeah, like, so it, I think it, allude, it's just one of those, like, this is, you know, something's going to happen here, and if anybody knows anything about history, it's the fact that he kind of, you know, liked to take heads. <laughs> I just kept going. Just the way he was putting his hand on her neck, like, it was yeah. awkward. It, yeah, it if could... somebody touched me like that, I would be like, please, please do not. <laughs> right? Push him away. <laughs> so that, I was having a really hard time with those scenes. Like, yes, just as you said, I, I understood the reason why they were doing it. But for somebody who knows a little bit more about history, it was just, the whole thing was awkward. Yeah, like, and I think when it, because when it happened first with Anne Boleyn, I'm like, okay, well, that, I guess, kind of makes sense. But then again, when they showed it with Catherine Howard, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, Henry, we get it. Stop with the neck fondling. It's weird. We get it. You like to dismember your wives. Like, let's move forward here. <laughs> <laughs> same old, same old. Yeah. So then we like fast forward. It's like a year after Catherine Howard's been executed. And now suddenly Elizabeth is looking like a teenager. She should be like about 10 years old. And Thomas Seymour, of course, now I'm going to get all excited and talk really fast, but because I love him so much, but he is introduced as the Lord Admiral. So he didn't even obtain that title until 1547. Not in like 1543, so it's like they were. Yeah, I guess for the sake of the script, they they needed something to call him by, like other than just Uncle Tom or Tom Seymour. Like he he wouldn't have seemed as relevant if everybody else was Lord Protector or the King or the Queen or the Duchess. Like so that was probably just like a just let's Tom. Build, let's just build him up a little bit so he doesn't look less compared to everybody else hey guys look it's tom (laughs) (laughs) you know it does you know for modern day it kind of has a ring hey tom what's up (laughs) but back then it was like it is the lord admiral yeah (laughs) i love it and also too like when he first entered and he's all like dressed up like what did i say to you i'm like he's a peacock (laughs) but that's that's how he was described he was always like wonderfully dressed oh he's wearing purple (laughs) henry viii made it illegal for non-royals to wear purple like boy who do you think you are (laughs) he's tom (laughs) just tom (laughs) i mean yeah they're they're the clothing that they were wearing, like his especially, was really throwing me off because I, maybe I don't know enough about the men's attire back then, but he looked like he was wearing a decorative diaper over tights. Didn't they wear a little bit more than that? Yeah, there's there's a scene later in the movie where Elizabeth goes to speak to counsel after Tom's been arrested. Yeah. And um, Edward Seymour, he's like leaning against the table and he's wearing those ridiculous shorts with the tights. And I looked at it and I was like, oh God. Right. Like, (laughs) 
oh my I feel like maybe they went like a little over the top when it came to that. I'm not, I feel like they wore like a little bit longer pants. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. With the tights, but not like yes. mid thigh kind of thing. Yeah, it's decorative diapers. That's what I'm going to call them. <laughs> it's just awkward. Um, so what do we have after that, um, in the movie? Oh yeah, Thomas was um convincing young Bess to come out of her room. Um, uh, when he's like, I have a way with children. Like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> tell us more about that. <laughs> like, that's the typical Thomas Seymour stereotype. And when I saw that, I'm like, Rebecca's gonna blow a gasket when she like, or I'm sure she did when she saw this. Like, wh- how did that make you feel that he was portrayed as like, this creepy adult male figure coming after this younger girl? You know, the first time I watched the movie, I was able just to watch it, you know, just for the sake of entertainment. I tried not to look into it too much. And I really enjoyed the movie a lot more when I watched it that way. When I recently watched it again and saw how he was being portrayed, it honestly made me want to vomit. It makes me so upset that it just seems like everybody's regurgitating what was said about him in the 19th century. And it's unfair to him to be held up to something that we don't even know is true. And so here they are making this movie, the only movie, mind you, that I'm even aware of that Thomas Seymour is like nearly a star in. And of course, it shows him like some creepy looking pedophile. Yep. But then but then I told you later on, like, there's part of me that is kind of rooting for him and young Bess (laughs) in a strange way. Not really me, but I understand how you'd feel about that. <laughs> I'm a, just, I'm a sucker for romantic stuff, you know, just like Thomas and Catherine Parr, you know, they, they, to me, they've always been meant to be together in the end, you know, they were going to get married. She was taken away. We'll just, you know, s- you know, surmise that she was taken away. And then when she's free again, they finally get to be together. And then in this movie, they make it look like instantly young Bess was in the picture and she fell in love with him so fast. And Catherine was in love at the same time. And yeah, yeah. It's like a weird love triangle that they created in this movie. Right. And, and you had brought up a line, um, at the end where Catherine Parr is dying. What did she say again? Uh, you're not the first man to be in love with two women at the same time. Right. So how did you feel about that? Given, you know, you've put a lot of research and time into Thomas Seymour and, you know, his relationship with Catherine Parr and what went on when Elizabeth, you know, lived with Catherine. Like, do you think that he was in love with both of them or one of them or neither, like none of them? Like, how do you feel about that statement? First of all, that scene made me very sad. Like when she said that, I thought, oh, my God, that is so sad. If, if, if that were the case, you know, she's on her deathbed. And mind you, we have no idea what she's dying of because she clearly didn't have a baby in this movie. <laughs> she's on her deathbed and she says this to her husband, you know, and he doesn't even really say anything in response. They just kind of embrace a little bit. And I just it's not. I don't believe at at all that Thomas Seymour was in love with Elizabeth. I also can say I don't know that he was necessarily in love with Catherine Parr, but I think he loved her. I think she loved him more. Yes. And and everything that's been said about his treatment to the Princess Elizabeth, um, 
there's just there isn't any concrete ever the evidence to show that it actually happened. You know, the statements that were said about the inappropriate nature about Elizabeth were all said by somebody who was probably under some type of um, emotional torture at the tower to get them to say this. There isn't anybody else who really backs up that story. And she changed her story, too. You know, like one time she's like, oh, Thomas, Thomas saw Elizabeth. And the next time she says the queen saw Thomas and Elizabeth or the story changed. So to me, that that story should immediately go out the window and we should look for something else to see where the, the truth lies. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was interesting that, you know, Catherine Parr's pregnancy and then like her subsequent death after that like it wasn't part of the film but also i think again with it being 1953 i think um things weren't as um laid back in film that the way that they are now like in 2018 it's not uncommon to see like a full full frontal labor and delivery in certain films right but in 1953 i think you couldn't even show a husband and wife sharing a bed never mind pregnancy and delivery like it just wasn't appropriate and so they probably had to skip that and then it's just like oh we'll just kind of allude to the fact that she gets sick and then she dies which you know she did but right it wasn't just like she caught the flu and died it was the <laughs> result of something else but i think just within the propriety or whatever it wasn't appropriate during the time right so no kind of had to scramble with that one a little bit it was a very emotional scene for me. It was watching it because, it, you know, I imagine what it was like in real life, because like I said, I feel it really feel like he loved her. And when she died, not only did he lose a woman that he loved, but he also lost some power because she wielded a lot more than he could. Yes. Anyway. I could talk about Thomas Seymour all day, and somehow I could turn this entire movie review into Thomas Seymour. Yep. So what about the part um, in the movie where they're all on the ship together? Yeah, um, like, that seems like a good idea. What could possibly go wrong there? Right? That was my first thought, too. Like, so it was Henry VIII. Yeah. Edward Seymour, right? Yeah. Catherine Parr. Um, Elizabeth, Henry VIII, and Archbishop Cramer. Yes. Am I missing any? Oh yeah, because he got he was seasick. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird that I remember that. <laughs> so the all these very important people are on this ship, and they're apparently just sailing, looking for the French. Yeah. Apparently, like oh, like the French are over there. They're coming. Like no big deal, guys. We've just got half the royal family on board. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And then suddenly it turns into, you know, a an epic argument between Henry the Eighth and Catherine Parr about her being too wise. Yeah. Or knowing too much or teaching her husband. Like there was a lot of arguing on the boat, and then Elizabeth spots the French. Yeah. Or does she? <laughs> yeah. Like I was I was kind of confused by that scene. I didn't really understand the relevancy of that scene in the movie, but I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I think it was just to show us the volatility of Henry VIII, maybe. I I don't know. And we got to see Tom Seymour in his Lord Admiral uniform and tights. And... Yeah, did that <sighs> do it for you? <laughs> 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 Moving along. So... 
we were talking about last night a little bit about like some of the favorite lines from the movie. And I think from that scene on the ship, one of my favorite lines, um, Elizabeth was getting feisty with her father and he says something to the effect of, I suppose you think the world is flat when it's actually around and, you know, can we not make Elizabeth a flat earther, please? Like, there's already too many of these people. And we've established that she was an incredibly intelligent woman. So you can't backtrack and go after her for that. Right. Like- Right. They they could have flipped it the other way around because then the following that, you know, he says to her, you would shape the world as it suits you. And she says, why not? Didn't you? Snap. She got him there. Right. And I love that. But it probably would have been better if she had said the world was round and he said it was flat. Yeah. But I'm surprised that after that. Like after she said, why not? Didn't you? I'm surprised we didn't cut to another trip back to Hatfield after that statement. <laughs> that she would have been sent away for saying something like that exactly the horses going down the hill in the wagons yeah see now anybody who's listening to this and has not watched this movie i'm sorry because i you really have to see it in order to, to picture the the repetitive nature of these horses going down the hill yeah, they got a pretty good workout with that hill. I think. <laughs> they did. Just one direction, though. So yeah. at least it was downhill. Yeah. <laughs> so then we like we skip forward. Um, let's talk about the Henry VIII death scene where he's laying in the bed. And they rig him up with the pulleys so that he can sit up. I was like, ew. <laughs> I, th- I thought that was awesome. I thought, oh, my gosh, did they really have those pulley systems? <laughs> Makes well, sense. Well, I knew that. He, you know, later in life, because he was so rotund, that I have read that the use of pulleys and quote unquote machines were used to get him up and to get him onto his horse. Like, so I'm sure that, you know, there was something like that. I just thought it was ridiculous in the scene that he's half dead, laying in bed, and they're just like, hold on, sir. Like, we'll, we'll get you up there. <laughs> Right, yeah, exactly. And then he like looks around the room and he spots his children and he looks at Mary and calls her the crazy sheep, which made me laugh out loud while I was watching it. Poor Mary, the crazy sheep. And then he sees Edward and he calls Edward the frightened sheep. And then he gets to Elizabeth and what does she say? She's the black sheep. I loved that line that like to me that was, she's like I'm the black sheep and then later he, you know he goes on to to say how he wished Elizabeth had been a boy because you know she would have been such a great ruler like he really they portrayed him as really being impressed with Elizabeth over all of his other children yeah and I think and again this is my opinion but I think even despite you know the downfall of Anne Boleyn and that chaos and you know, Elizabeth being declared illegitimate. I think that she had a special place in Henry's heart. Like sure. Edward was the, the token boy child and Mary was the first child. And, but I don't know. I I feel like maybe Henry VIII just had, there was something special to him with Elizabeth and maybe he in, in, in real life when it happened, he, he never would have said these things to Elizabeth, but I I feel like maybe he would have thought them or recognized that there's something great in this girl. Yeah. I think he saw a lot of himself in her, you know, even physically she had the red hair and I think she had his nose and temper. Yeah. His temper. And she was 
very musical like he was. And I think, you know, maybe without him acknowledging it, she reminded him of Anne a little bit and some of the happy times that he had with her. You'd think maybe. Yeah. And I think, too, for men, when, you know, they're dealing with those kind of emotions that they they don't process it the same way that we do. And so it's easier to be angry and to dislike than to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that this is real because she's part of me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So then one of uh, another favorite scene that I had from this movie was as Henry VIII is dying and he says, you know, pray for my soul to release it from purgatory. And then Ned says, but you abolished purgatory. (laughs) Don't argue. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't argue and then like he starts to die yeah. so you know and and uh, you know it's partially <clears throat> excuse me i believe that's um at least partially true that at the end he did seem to really hold on to his catholic beliefs yeah so also, he doesn't want to be contradicted like yeah i abolished purgatory but don't don't remind me of that like just yeah. just go with what i'm saying ned come on Right. I'm the king. I'm dying, man. Just give me this. (laughs) I'm literally on death's doorstep. Can you not? (laughs) Right now, please. Most dramatic death ever, too. It was. They're not moving, and then all of a sudden his head's rolling around, and he's just like, ugh, and then dead. Oh, and I, you know what? And I didn't even mention, of course, you know, the scene where he basically wants to give Thomas Seymour all the power after his death. Yeah. You know, that, of course, did not happen. No. Um, so I thought that was an interesting uh, little twist to the story as well. Yeah. Um, okay. I have an important question for you now. Okay. Gene Simmons as Princess Elizabeth. What was your impression of how, um, let's say, if you could describe this character of Elizabeth in this movie, not in, not in history, but Elizabeth in this movie, if you could describe her in three words, which words would you choose? Hmm. Yeah, see, um, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I would describe, in this movie, I would describe Elizabeth as over-emotional soft and lost i guess interesting yeah and soft soft like i guess that kind of plays along the over emotional but she was very i guess maybe unsure is the better word than soft like i just feel like elizabeth even as a young teenager as she was at the time i feel like she wouldn't have been so you know, apt to, to making emotional decisions. I feel like she would rationalize it out, think about it, you know, look at all the sides and then come to a decision. And where this, she's just like, no, I love him. And she runs and she grabs him. And, (laughs) and it just, I just don't think that she would have done that at all. It's funny that you say um, her running and saying, I love him because my three words for her to describe her would be emotional Defiant and reckless. Yeah, reckless, I would say. I, would I mean, say. definitely when it came to, to Thomas, you know, they had that scene where she ran into his, his bedchamber. <laughs> and, you know, of course, she's not supposed to be in there alone. It's going to look, you know, 
yeah, suspicious. He said like at this hour in my room and you in that dress. <laughs> that Sorry. scene. but you know what even though like it's so cheesy sounding now but i really like the fact that he said that i was like oh tom yeah but he said that but he didn't do anything (laughs) he did he moved closer to her (laughs) (laughs) well let's just let's let's ignore that the danger and then excuse yourself from the room Okay, it's, it's just all part of the stereotype. Let's just, let's just say it's all that. I was proud of him. So, so of course, they're in his room, and then we're introduced to Barnaby. Yes, Barnaby. His page or whatever who's got to, you know, hold all of Thomas Seymour's secrets. Um, and then later on, did you notice how Barnaby became Prince Edward's whipping boy? Yeah, I did, and I was like, what? Okay. Yeah. And it's funny that I didn't catch this the first time watching it just very recently on Facebook and one of the history groups that I'm in, they were talking about Barnaby being his whipping boy and if there was any fact to that or not. And I pulled out every book that I have on Edward VI because obviously when I'm researching Thomas Seymour, Edward VI is one of the perfect places to go to research him. So I went into the index of every single one of my books and saw nothing under the name Barnaby and nothing under Whipping Boy. Did they have Whipping Boys at this point in time? Like, I know further back, like more into the medieval times, that was a thing. And I think it was a thing on, um, like, the mainland of Europe, too, in, in the royal houses on the mainland. But... I don't know. I felt like maybe that was out of place, but I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, honestly, I don't either. So if you're listening and you know, send me a message and let me know so we can educate ourselves on this. And Prince Edward in this movie, the actor that played him, like, I'm sure he was just playing a character, but he was kind of annoying. Yeah, he was kind of a, a mouthy little uh, gremlin, wasn't he, sometimes? And like he he looked sometimes like he did a good job acting the childlike Henry VIII. Yes. Like when they were hiding wherever it was in the gardens or wherever, and he stomped off and had his hands on his hips and turned around. I was like, he is Henry VIII. You could tell that he is the son of Henry VIII, and I I liked that. Yeah, and how he would say, "I am the king." Like obviously he picked that up from yeah you know, saying that right. So I felt like he he just you know when they were talking about uh was it Catherine Howard or maybe Anne of Cleves and he's like oh well she won't last and then you're going back to Hatfield it's like oh that's nice that's right. real nice. spoiled little brats yeah, like I was just like the mouth on this little kid <laughs> and the, and then we get scenes of Edward writing in his diary right so we know we know he had a diary and his diary in real life is very dull. When you read it, there's not much emotion put into it. But in the movie, you know, I was laughing so hard last night that I had to write it down. Because he writes, more power to Uncle Tom. I shall give him tall ships to fight the pirates. I am the king. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like all of, what, 10 years old? <laughs> I just, I loved how it ended. I am the king. Yeah, it's like he needs to remind himself that yeah (laughs) and then the next entry he writes good news my uncle tom has defeated the pirates it almost killed my uncle ned yeah it's like he knows that his uncles don't like each other and like (laughs) 
he's just like, well, there it is. <laughs> oh, I just, yeah. So I was really, that scene made me laugh. Really. Were, were there any scenes that I've missed so far that you thought were super funny? Um, I don't, I think we've nailed most of them. Like uh, the, the flat earther thing just floored me. Like I had to pause it and like take a breath because I, I just can't believe they threw that in there. Which part? When Elizabeth made the comment about the earth being flat. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, not, not funny, I guess, like, ha-ha funny, but, like, the irony because of how smart she uh, was. It's ironic funny. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so hip now. <laughs> my my 14-year-old son is rolling his eyes. I can just, I can feel it. <laughs> I'm like, Mom. Mom so... Don't. That movie, um, I mean, of course, we haven't described the entire movie, but we've really talked a lot about um, some of the scenes in this movie and the parts that we thought were funny. Um, Would you say that this movie is historically accurate? Oh, no. Oh, no. On a scale of of one to five, five being the most accurate, what would you rate this? I'd probably put it at like a two. Two. Yeah. Maybe two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. Two. No more. No more than that. Like, no. There a lot of a lot of the the basis of this plot is either speculation or it did not happen. Right. So you know, it was a fun ride. I enjoyed the movie. I, I enjoyed the movie. And that's that's a lot coming from me because when things are so historically wrong, I have a really hard time. That's why I don't watch a lot of these films because I can't I can't enjoy it for what it is if it's wrong. Like I, I turn into Sheldon Cooper with these things <laughs> and I just fixate on the wrong and I can't just enjoy it. But you know, I, I did like this movie. I love the costumes and like the set design. Like I, I can see why they were nominated for an Academy Award as rightly they should have been. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to look up and see who won for that. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess at the end of the day, I like seeing these people, these characters come to life and knowing that they were real. I liked seeing it acted out in front of me, despite mm-hmm. the, the liberties that are taken with facts. Um but yeah, no, this, if, if you're looking for like research kind of material, don't watch this movie because it's that there is nothing there that you can really gain from it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just enjoy it for what it is. Exactly. And that's why, like I said earlier, that's why I felt like the first time that I watched it was the best time because I watched it with just open eyes and it made it harder and it made it funnier watching it again afterwards knowing okay now i can pick out everything that's wrong in here and sometimes it's a nice way to test your own knowledge yeah and i find too like you know the few films that i have watched that i i re-watch every once in a while i find that even now like years later decades later of these movies or films being out i always find something else that i didn't notice before mm-hmm. and then like i have to pause the film and like i want to look that up because i don't know if that was real or not I do. That's funny. I do the same thing. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, I'm sure if I watched this movie again, like in a few months, there'd be something else where that I, I didn't notice before that I'd be like, oh, like there. So I, I enjoy that too. Good. Well, you know, I had so much fun 
um, watching this movie again, especially watching it, knowing that you were going to be watching it and that we were going to talk about it. Um, I would love to do another one of these. So hopefully um, people respond to it well, because I would love to watch another one. Um, yeah, sure. We'll just have to come up with another good one mm-hmm. um, that we can both get. That's always going to be the tricky part. <laughs> yeah. Um, but maybe we should also take a vote. So maybe I will do a poll on um, either Patreon or maybe Facebook to see yeah. um, which movies everybody else would like us to do. And then we can see what we can do about watching them. Yeah, we could pick like a couple of options and be like, for the next movie movie review, would you like A, B, C, or D? Yeah, ex- exactly. I think that'll be fun. So with that... Sari, thank you so much for joining me again today doing this review on Young Bess. Thanks for having me. It's always fun and I always look forward to it. I love, uh, I, I really enjoy doing this stuff with you. So I'm glad we've been able to connect that way. I agree so much. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jeez, I've got little, I got a little emotional there. <laughs> Sari, thank you so very much. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for checking out the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Read more. Read more on the blog at TudorsDynasty.com. Follow Tudor's Dynasty on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to Tudor's Dynasty on iTunes. Thanks for listening.